Hey there, this is Nick Baglio, and I'm Ben's guest on this week's Big Fat Five. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest, as you just heard, is Nick Baglio, a.k.a. Nicky Bags with two Zs. Can't believe it's taken me this long to get him on the damn podcast. If you follow Big Fat Snare Drum on Instagram, he's literally the most reposted account because A, he's an amazing drummer and so creative to the point where I don't even know how to begin to describe what he's doing sometimes, but also B, he just captures a really powerful sound and it's super inspiring. In high school, he was continuously selected for all-state and all-region jazz bands, which helped him earn a full music performance scholarship to study drums at University of Miami, where he started playing with everyone in town. He's done all the travels and currently splits his time between teaching, recording, and performing, with his home being Raleigh, North Carolina. He's the shit, I love him, and I hope you enjoy getting to know him just a little bit by learning about the five records that shaped him into the drummer he is today. All right, cheers. It's great to finally uh, to meet you, and albeit through a camera, that's that's the the trend these days or these past few years anyway, right? <laughs> I know. Well, no, that's what I was gonna say. That's why I wanted to start recording because like you've become such a part of my daily life with either you tagging us. I mean, really, with you tagging us or us <laughs> just so like sorry. you know just DMing weird stuff back and forth. Um, right. But. I'm happy to finally get you on the podcast because obviously you're an insane drummer. You're a really goofy dude. And so we have a lot of, you know, a kinship there. But I really don't know much about you besides that that interaction, you know. So it's I want to, before we get into your top five, I do want to know a little more about sure. you. So you, I know you're from New York, but yeah, what, what role did music play in your life growing up? Uh, so... Uh, for, well, first of all, thank you for the, um, the kind words. Uh, and... So, yeah, so born and raised on Long Island, um, and my dad was um, was a professional drummer. So growing up super young, um, we grew up in Holbrook, and we had a drum set in the house, and my dad, you know, played in, in a ton of bands, and then he had like a, later on down the road, opened up a recording studio, which became like an integral part of being exposed to other musicians and styles of music. And, you know, he would let me sit in on sessions and I'd just be in the corner sort of taking in the interaction and the reality of what a studio was. Mm -hmm. um, 
and later like determining the fate of people's bands that would send like vhs tapes to be recorded like as a submission and he would be like watch these let me know what you think when i get home from his his other gig he was like an engineer he worked like crazy amounts but yeah and i'd be like this one sucked this one was cool like oh this 12 year old just like basically like <laughs> decided whether you got to record in the studio with <laughs> Uh, with little to no musical knowledge. But anyhow, he started teaching me when I was super young. Um, and I started playing piano first, actually, and then drums. And so my mom's an artist. So the arts are, are a huge part of, of our family. And they were very, very supportive, which uh, I don't thank them enough for every day because it can be hard you mm-hmm. know, in the opposite universe. What What brought you down to North Carolina? So... The there's a chain of events. So, I, so I, I studied in New York um, with a bunch of private teachers, which we'll probably get into later. And then I went to school in Miami at University of Miami. Uh, and then, so I was there for maybe a year after my bachelor's. And then I um, started working with this band. And then we got signed and went back to New York. And then we started touring a lot, and we were paying all this crazy rent even then which was laughable now, but, uh, to never have a place, you know, we were never there. We were just in a, in a bus or a van just, so we just moved to North Carolina because our singer, uh, had an aunt, her sister actually was a realtor in North Carolina. So we had a place in like, in like the thick of North Carolina, like in the woods, um, which as a New Yorker, everyone was worried that I would just quit before we even got there. Cause I was like, North Carolina, <laughs> the fuck out of here with that. Like, and this North Carolina, <laughs> yes, and and this North Carolina was like exactly it was textbook what I was concerned about, <laughs> and so but we didn't spend a lot of time there, so I ended up here. I ended up in uh, a town called Lewisburg, and then uh, the band sorted to uh, dissolve in some regard, and then I started coming to Raleigh, which is where I live now, the capital of North Carolina, and um started working with other musicians and you know networking and meeting people and then slowly then just officially moved here uh over 10 years ago i'd say now and um and ended up buying a property and now i'm a full-on north carolinian so many of us are new yorkers that's the joke right everyone that lives in raleigh now is like west coast new york so there's not a lot of southern draw like within like five square miles Mm -hmm. but then you you go outside and it's just like oh yeah right what was the name of the band? Uh, that band was called uh, Morris and Poe. Morris and, this and Poe, was, okay. And it was, um, so this was like during the uh, female-fronted hard rock. So we did some dates with like, with Evanescence and stuff with like, with 30 Seconds to Mars. And it was, it was very cool. It was like that hard, it was everywhere. It was super prevalent, especially in South Florida and maybe still is. Um, but... And then we met Nile Rogers. Like Nile Rogers discovered the band, and then we signed with Nile. Um, and that's when we moved back to New York. And then we we got some stuff on like a couple of cool like Xbox OSTs, sort of like like a la Breaking Benjamin route. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys, but oh yeah. So it was that time, you know, where it was like everywhere, and we had to, we had like a video on MTV, which was like a bucket list thing, and. Uh, it was great. And then I think that music just sort of, uh, fell apart and 
people moved and so we all just sort of moved on but yeah it was it was a great uh, you know five or so years i think that we were doing that nowadays what's the ratio of lessons to playing to um recording remotely like basically i i guess i should ask what's the what's the average day in the life of nick look like so well i think it's an interesting time it's a great time to ask that question because i think pre uh apocalypse it was i'd say like maybe 50 percent on the road uh but no longer than like you know so my general thing is i, I sort of play with uh like two or three main outfits, like in totally different genres and try and balance a tour schedule like we all do. And hopefully the big ones don't, you know, and have a sub if you need one who will take care of it. You know, it's like the nature of any, you know, self-employed musician. And that I love to teach, but I also love to record. So the recording thing didn't happen until I bought this place and, um, you know, learned how to use from scratch, uh, you know, microphones and, and, and pro tools and that whole learning curve. Um, so I'd be on the road a lot more and then the pandemic hit and obviously all that stuff went away, but I had already been doing the recording thing and the teaching thing, whether it was in person or virtual. So I sort of had a leg up in that regard in terms of being able to keep that going. And, and thankfully, like even more so really, right. Cause then it was like, well, we're, like like great drummers were were messaging me like which was the most flattering thing like i'm here and i was in the same boat like i was taking lessons and i was just like well if we're here for now which we thought was going to be three months um much to our dismay but had all this time to work on themselves and, and their playing so that like when the doors did open up everyone would be full scale like let's get it so at, at this point a lot of the the groups that i'm with are like sort of in the rewriting stage so i'd say like most days i record like in the morning i'll come here and i'll record uh a song two or three for somebody um and then do like a couple virtual lessons and then maybe a rehearsal but i would say like playing out wise i've also sort of like gotten like acclimated and accustomed to this like not having to go out Mm -hmm. so to go on the road i think i would I would maybe be a little more choosy now than I was, you know, pre-pandemic. Just because, like, you know, my wife, uh, I love spending time with my wife and, and, like, being gone for long periods of time. There's that aspect. Plus, I've got all these relationships with, like, I've got a couple clients that I do, like, jingles for. And they're, like, sending me things pretty regularly. So that would sort of be abandoned. Mm-hmm. So it would have to be worthwhile, I guess. But to say I don't miss it would be you know, total bullshit because I definitely, there's that element that I think any musician, whatever, uh, that's a part of it. You know what I mean? Like you need to be in front of people and doing that thing live. And so, but I'm sure it, it sort of, it, it, it comes and goes. And so I, I, there's got, there's some stuff that will be coming up in the fall, but, um, mostly recording and teaching, to be honest, uh, is most of my time. I think the best part about what we do. So there are a couple of things like with the touring, there are a couple that went out and came back, um, mm-hmm. you know, as a lot of them are like somebody in the camp test positive And then the whole thing's a wrap or a reschedule. I don't, you know, I'm sure oh, a stranger yeah. to any of this, right. I can see it in your face. And so, um, 
it, it's super frustrating, but I think the fact, you know, we have to be grateful for what it is that we're able to do because not that long ago, you couldn't do any of this shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no one ever thought that would be a thing. Yep. Right. So, but, um, I love the variety. I mean, the, my favorite part about being, uh, a musician is the variety, whether it's like variety in genres. Like I love playing a lot of different, um, styles of music, working with different people, and also like different parts like you can do recording for a while you get sick of that like you said you could go out in the road and do the touring thing hop on a bus for a while it's to have the unit i mean that to me is the sort of one of the best luxuries of being a self-employed musician is that like no one's really telling you what you got to do it's really just what what you're up to i'm building a recording studio which has like been a huge dream of mine so that's we have I literally have a meeting on with the architect on Friday, like to get the final plans and Is that gonna be on your property? Just like a little annex? Yes. So this the long and short of it is during the pandemic my wife was working from home and so this is a very small house located downtown. So and it's there's no neighbor complaints or anything. It's like super well insulated and but it's a bedroom. Mm. Um and so she was working upstairs and so there was obviously a conflict of interest there like oh she's she on sounds a call. like an angel yeah. she's like nick's playing drums again that's fun cool <laughs> beats um and so you're rushing this, yeah like i think he's dragging <laughs> um so but anyway he we, we found a place that had a much bigger yard that's like a mile from here so my commute basically is to the to the old house and we're going to build like the proper like mega size drum room with like so i don't have to fabricate the large sounds i can get them organically and so very excited about that um that's awesome man yeah very pumped thanks well let's just get i know you like you kind of have a heart out so let's um let's just get into your top five wait um, hold on a second before we get into that sorry yeah. so did you always so you're on the west coast did you always live out there or did you move there recently no i've born and raised i've never lived on the east coast so I'm from, I thought you were a mass guy too. That's I thought you guys were like homies from, from like from Massachusetts. No, no. So Chris, um, Chris, Chris's brother Matt, Matt Coma used to be uh, when Eve Six broke up, and then before they got back together with the original three members, um, the guitarist John was doing another band in the in the time that they were broken up. So when they got back together, he didn't immediately come back. So Chris's brother Matt joined Eve Six for like a few few years. And so he became really close, Chris, with all the guys from Eve Six. So when I joined Fitness, and which is one of Max from Eve Six's side projects, and then ultimately Eve Six, that's how I met Chris. He came out to one of the shows and you know five ah. years ago. And so it was right at the time where I was, I had moved to LA probably six years ago, and I was trying to balance the still work server life and then also be a full-time musician. And sure. so I had to kind of walk away because I was getting too busy and my jobs were like, dude, you have to get like 90% of your shifts covered because you're always traveling. So it was about that time that I was, I, I met Chris and then like two weeks later, wasn't even thinking about getting a job. I was like, dude, you're awesome. I love the company. If you ever need any help, man, it was like almost like a networking buddy thing. And he's sure. like, dude, I am, I'm drowning here, you know, for this, re- these few reasons because the company's growing. So how about this many hours a week, here's your salary, just go. I know you're going to be touring a lot, so we'll just work it out. And so it's, yeah, it just became this organic thing. And then now it's something that I do 
you know, and obviously you could do I'm the still stuff there. from the road, right? Like that's kind as of long a, as I have an internet connection. The only hard, the only hard thing is, is, is uh, on the road. I'm home now. I've been on the road since March 1st, literally with two days off. Um, and so finding time that was quiet where I had Wi-Fi that would work for the guest. So if anyone listening, the last three months of podcasts have been so stressful. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, didn't miss a week. So we'll see. But, but yeah, no, I'm, uh, bo- I was born and raised in the Seattle area, actually. And then I moved to L.A. in 2016. Awesome. Very cool. Hey, y'all, I wanted to, (laughs) I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye um all right so number one the this album. was impossible, man. By the way, <laughs> everyone says it, and that's okay. But really, it is. It was so tough. Sorry, I just totally cut you off. My fault. No, no, it's fine. It's just yeah. I and I, I'm a broken record on this. But people either get mad at me, or they th- <laughs> or they thank me because they're like, dude, that was like therapy. Um, and you're mad at me. So great. No, it's um, both. It is both. It is both. <laughs> All right. So the album is Plantation Lullabies. The release year is 1993. And the artist is Michelle and Diggio Cello. And the song is I'm Digging You, like an old soul record. And it's programmed drums, but you were thinking it was Andre Betts? Yeah, that's, that's what I was reading. The story that goes along with this um, is sort of like the, one of the funniest things. It goes along with two of these records, but I'll let you play it and then um, I'll tell you that story. It's pretty funny. Man, she can play the bass. Oh my god, yeah. Mm. Sit back, relax, and listen to the track. Dig it like an old soul record. It's so in there. Mm-hmm. It's cool that what they programmed 
then is still legitimate now, albeit the sounds like a little dated. Obviously, mm-hmm. early 90s. But even so, I mean, if, if The weekend came out with like this right now, people would just go, okay, it's contemporary again. That's great, yeah. It's all full circle, it feels like. Freedom was at hand and you could just taste it. It was so cool. Yeah, I think it was him. I'm not sure who. There are a couple people that that programmed on this. But I had never heard of her. And so the story goes basically that um, I had been studying with this incredible teacher for a long time, like sort of up until, you know, maybe I guess around this time when this record was released. And there was another teacher. His name was um, Kevin Dunn. I don't know if you know, do you know Brian Dunn? Brian Dunn plays with Hall and Oates. Yes, yes, um, yes, yes. Super great dude, amazing player. They're both badasses. Um, and I met Brian years later and also told him this story. But so it was very hard to get a lesson with Kevin. Like his roster was full. He was like the guy. And I had just at this point gotten my license. We finally got it in. And so I had my first lesson with this guy. So I'm super nervous, like one, because I'm driving. And I think I was late because I showed up. Like I took, I went, Long Island is very simple. You go east and you go west. That's pretty much it. I went fucking west when I was supposed to go east. Showed up late. I'm not good with directions. I'm super nervous anyway. I go to the door uh, and knock and I'm obviously late. And I'm worried that he's going to be annoyed because we finally got this thing together. And he opens the door and he has two records in his hand, two CDs. And he gives me the CDs. One is this. He said, I need you to play with these two records and I'll catch you next week. Closes the door. That was the first lesson. I sort of like... Can I get a refund here, sir? Or what's the, you know... (laughs) Turned around, went back to the car uh, and saw him the next week. And so this was the first of those records... And that's literally all I did was play this thing front to back. There's so many great feels, uh, especially on this one. Uh, one of the other records is also one of the five um, for oh, different wow. reasons. But yeah, and it was just like, man, I play with it front and back. And there's just so much like, she's just so funky. And like, in terms of the, oh, this would probably be my first real like sort of R&B exposure uh at least like intentionally so where it's like very part oriented um not a lot of room for bullshit just like hold it down lock in and her bass is also so hot in the mix that it's just like so fun to play with this record so fun so is he he did it more for the bass as opposed to the program drums well, i think it was both it was like it was the the play the part lesson mm-hmm. right it was like play the parts don't deviate these were programmed and in a lot of scenarios, and this is funny because this is the nineties, right? He's like, just like the, they were programmed a certain way on purpose. Right. And so if you're going to do this stuff live, you need to stick to exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're going to have the tendency to want to play some bullshit. And the lesson here is that you just don't, and you stick right to the parts because that's the reality. And the funny thing is, you know, 20 years later, it's the same thing. It's like, if you're going to do these things, like you may have some, like the MD may give you some leeway, you'll get a moment, but it's like, don't 
with this music, you s- just stick to the stick to the script. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first lesson where, you know, everything else that I was learning was just like, you know, blah, 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 some bullshit. And then he was like, this, you play this record as is, play those parts. And when I came back, I, like I had some of it, but he's like, nah, you missed this. Nope. The kick's on the E. Don't forget about like, oh shit. Okay. Sorry. So it was great. It was a huge lesson. Yeah. Not, yeah. Just sticking to a groove is the hardest thing ever. I'll say it, hardest thing ever. I'm, I'm including yeah. everything in my life. <laughs> All right, number two. Um, the album is 10 Sumner's Tales. Release year was same year, actually, 1993. The artist is Sting. And the song is Seven Days. And, of course, it's Vinnie Caliuta. This is the other record. Oh, okay. The funny thing about this song is that so many people think Seven Days is in Seven, which is, has always been, I just thought funny because it's not in Seven. It's in Five, right? Yeah, it's in Five. And he has a way of making it feel like it's not. Um, and I think that's such a, that's why he's one of the goats, man, because it's just like his entrance to the chorus. Mm. Also, his snare sound on this was mm. also like super killing. And you could tell they were like on the chorus, you can break it up a little bit when we get back to the verse though. Four, five, one. And later on he starts doing that. He does like the like the four drop thing. Holy shit, it's so good. This thing, the splash thing. Oh, it's the next one. Right here. This is the fourth thing. There it is. Only two snares. It's the four twice, and then he's out. So brilliant. So good. And yeah, he's yeah. keeping the hi hat, the hi hat, the hi hat going. Um, it's so it kind sick. of is going back and forth on the beat during that five part. I love the bell. Everything about. I would find it. I would be hard pressed to know that most drummers have never heard of this record in some way, right? Or, I don't know, sometimes you think you assume way too much, but there's so much good stuff on this record between, like, the first track. Yeah. Um, what's that? Uh, what's the name of the first one? If I Lose My Faith. If I Ever Lose My Faith in You, yeah. The way he broke, broke up this bridge. Oh, so brilliant. I mean, this... <laughs> That sounds like a program part, too, because it's just like sonically, he's so consistent. Um, 
obviously time wise, he's so consistent. Um, but to, to speak to your point, um, even if I think some people are nervous to bring up records like this, cause you hear 10 Sumner's tales and you're like, okay, but I don't want to talk about it. Cause that's, that's such an iconic drum record. And so you don't bring it up, but I want people to, I'm happy you brought it up. Cause this is a record that should be talked about more. Or some people are nervous to bring up John Bonham or nervous to bring up Dave Grohl. It's like, still talk about it because if everyone's too nervous to talk about it then they become this thing that no one talks about yeah it's taboo and and yeah you're 100 right and i think the other what i was doing this uh and anyone that has done it or that will do it there's like that you start like it's just like river tributary they start like all these things start coming up you're like oh that record and you're like oh shit i need to do five here's 42 how do i trim this down and then you remember another one and so I also didn't wanted I wanted to do the things that sort of were formative, um, or as I took the assignment or understood it, like formative at a younger age, like coming up that sort of like you know, sort of honed where I was going. So the ones that I picked were more like younger, uh, you know, teenage years, like maybe up to college. Sure. Um, and I I even like hesitated to put this on because I figured that you would have had so many people. No. And it's interesting you're saying the exact opposite that mm-hmm. people like Vinny obviously is a household, you know, if you're saying their first name without their last name, that's your your rite of passage, but he is uh for all the obvious reasons like he can do everything. Um and do it really really well. And I think the reason, <clears throat> excuse me, that he gave me these records as a pairing were for different reasons. Um, there's like everything about this record in terms of the feels, like the pocket, he sits back on one, like there's like a, like a shuffly track that like, like, and I res- it resonates with me because I knew even then, or I aspired to be someone that can blend in to that scenario and not sound like, a rock guy playing a country thing would just to have to surprise someone ultimately be like, who get the mm. fuck out of here. Really? Yeah. That, cause that's the ultimate compliment is like, Oh, who's on this. And that's why I love the recordings, you know, aspect, which is why I spent years trying to get this together is cause I'm so passionate about making the, making the parts super genuine to what the artist is looking for. And then the next track could be a jingle that's like a fucking, you know, whatever the case is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's that, like, that age-old, like, stay in your lane, um, you know, or imposter syndrome, all these sort of, like, things that sort of battle it. And for me, uh, it is the best part, again, of, like, of what we do. And his versatility on this record is just, like, unsurpassed. It's just unbelievable he's one of the very few that can do the odd meter thing the pocket thing he lets him rip on one it's just it's incredible Vinny's drumming on that on this record well it's cool that uh, different perspectives have have their own weight because you saying that being the chameleon and having people go like oh i would have never thought this was nick is is the ultimate compliment to you and then to some people it's like having my thing where you hear it and you can automatically say, oh, that's Nick. And neither of them, it's not a greater equal than, you know what I mean? It's like, 
it's just whatever you want to accomplish on the instrument. So it's fun to have a different perspective. Well, and sorry, the, the, the caveat to that is I think you're right though. Cause I do appreciate like, Oh, I know that that's bags. I know you have a stamp, but it's like, like the people that truly know you're playing. Like if you know a drummer, you can tell immediately that's Tony or, mm-hmm. or like that's Tane or Bill Stewart, or like they have a very specific sound and it'd be, the ultimate sort of pat on the back is like, oh, it's like you can tell that it's him, but like he's doing his thing, but like really within the guidelines. That's a sort of the best case. Sure. Um, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, number three, and I agree with all that. Number three. Um, all right. So albums heads up release here was 1992. And I guess, unfortunately, you should be able to, but there's a lot of Daves. You can't just say Dave. It's Weckle. <laughs> Dave Weckle. He goes by because there's too Damn many it. Daves. Yeah. Uh, but the song is also heads up, the titular track. And you said about minute 436 is the solo. And, of course, it's Dave Weckle. So yeah. let's, just, uh, let's just listen to it. Let me see if I can get there. I also learned the word titular from uh, an older podcast that you did. I was like, oh, that's Oh, I learned one. it on the podcast, too. <laughs> Good. Everyone's I was like, what'd something. you say? Yeah. Titular. Hmm. Yeah, come on. Keep it clean. Keep the one. Keep the one. Wait for it. I mean, the bass player is a real hero right now. <laughs> the bass down. player is programmed, yeah. <laughs> this, this keyboard part is my favorite part. And we're back. God, dude. I think Dave, like Dave to me, so I was introduced, this record to me was the first time I knew that there were things like this that could be played. Like it was so baffling to me. I, my my teacher, Pete Haywood, who was the guy that like sort of got me into this. Cause I was like, yeah, man, like I think, uh, you know, I've got, I've got some stuff together. And he's like, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> listen to this, and then he and he played this record, which subsequently I think might have been just before. They're all like in the same three years, which I think is interesting. I didn't realize that uh, <laughs> through doing this, um, but it was like, oh my god, I, I have no idea even what's happening. Like, I, like there's so many things happening, like phrasing and and 
I always feel like like Dave, like a lot of drummers either like lo- love Dave or or don't. Um, for whatever reason, there's no like mid like middle ground, and I just think that his like uh, like Matt like uh, I talked to Matt like Matt. Yeah, I don't know if you've had Matt on here, Matt Garska, but like he's mm, I haven't. He's like big into it. it. It's something about like just effortless uh, expression and phrasing and ideas with no limits um, that he's able to do. And if you see him play it, if you haven't gotten a chance to you know to see him or watch any of those, like I had those old tapes. Um, back to basics. Uh, he's got incredible hair, which I think is probably the number one um, point of contention. But then also, uh, <laughs> it's swinging around while he's playing like the most mind-blowing, like creative ideas. But also, it's like it's in there. There's such a difference between folks that are going, which is which was me when I was learning this stuff. It's like trying to go for that stuff, but it's not in there, and. When it is, it's just like magical. And this to me was like, oh my God, I have so far to go. Um, and I would like mow lawns, you know, like listening to this every single day and play with it front to back as much as I could and try and just like absorb any of that information if I could. Super how did, crazy. How did you compartmentalize that stuff? Did you take. Like, would you go measure by measure at a time? Did you try and emulate it that way? Or like, like, how does your brain work when you try and digest something like that and then try and play that in the kit? Well, a lot of what he's, uh, uh, in particular, like the the segment that we listen to, like there's a lot of stuff on this record that's similar in different lanes. And and this stuff in particular, which is like a lot of the stuff that I end up working on um, with with like more advanced players is is like, yeah, you sort of have to like you have to micro first, and like what's happening is you have to develop a core, um, a core set of like uh, uh, vocabulary, right? And and what's happening? He's got so many basic tools in his box, and he's able to switch between them effortlessly, seamlessly, without dropping a dime. And so that's what creates those crazy phrases, um, and his ideas. So he's got the ability to to say whatever he wants to say and end wherever he wants to end and also start where he wants to start. So when you when you learn these things, you just need to get them and then it's like, well, how do I start it? I start on the one. Okay, how do I end it? I end on the one. Okay, cool. Now start on the E of one and on the of three and then that's an entirely different skill set. Mm-hmm. And he sort of has all of what I've come to realize through studying and it's not just him, it's like, there's another one on there, I think that I put on there, um, where you just go through and like, I didn't like outright transcribe any of this stuff because it's just like, it was too much for me. Um, it's too, I'd get arthritis in the process, right? But but he has a lot of like, uh, he's got a lot of like just basic things that all are, it's like compounded and compounded and compounded again. And so in the beginning, it seemed totally, when I listen to it now, I understand, like, I understand so much more of it now than I did then, but that making, I'll never forget, like, when I understood, like, there's, like, a modulation that he goes into there, and I was just like, how is he able to do that and still know where the one is, and then when I was able to learn that thing, you know, whether it's, like, your first beat or that thing, you're like, oh, my God, right, of course, and then you hear it, and everyone else is playing, and you're like, there it is again, it's been around me this whole time, and I just wasn't even able to, like, catch it. Yep. 
Exactly. You know? And then when you have that skill, which is what this guy taught me, then it's like, okay, well, I'll just borrow this from anyone that I have access to, right? Which used to be like dating myself here, but like getting the library card, getting the CD burner, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and mm-hmm. make some copies. And now everything is is like $10 a month free to everybody, which is, that's a whole nother conversation. But if you know how to do that, you can just like fill your, like fill the bank every day, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, it's almost like with all these albums at your fingertips, you don't have like the you had to have the dedication to that record to go like, I need to go burn this record. So because I've spent the time driving down or asking my mom to drive me down to the library, I need to focus on this record. Now it's like people kind of, a lot of people, and I include myself in this, I'm not being like, get off my lawn. Got there's, you can just listen to anything that it's, it's really, it's harder. You have to have more willpower to deep dive into like specific things. Man, you're bringing up, uh, uh, a topic that's its own podcast, which is it's just the overflow, the access of information between yeah. PooTube and <laughs> Apple Music and Spotify, like the wrong information, the right information, like there's no filter, right? So it's like, here's how you play this. And it's like, the fuck, that is not, that's not, but it doesn't matter. It's out there. And it's just like, it's just ADHD, like, oh, oh, let me start on this. Oh, but I got to work on this. Oh, man, my jazz play. Oh, but also, and then nothing gets done. Yep. And you're just like, I'm like halfway decent at a whole bunch of things when you, you said it. Like, here's the only thing that I have because I can't afford to go buy the new record to distract me from getting this done, you know? And then, like, you, you transcribe that record and then you're like, okay, got it. Let me now, now I can afford to go get this. Now it's like, they're all just like floating in front of you. It's like, you know, dangling in front of you. Crazy. Yeah. I would say 80% of my like instincts and like stuff that I'll do are from the say are, are from 10 records from when I was younger. And then everything else is like, Oh, I'll kind of pick up little things along the way. But, um, all right. So number four, the album is Tokyo 96. The release year is 1998. Think about that. The artist is Keith Jarrett Trio, and the song is Billy's Bounce, and you said it's Jack fucking D. So almost enough to not say the last name, but it is Jack DeJanet, so here Jack we go. Jack DeJanet. So many memories. Mm. Talk about just pure expression right there. The way he plays this first chorus. (laughs) I want to use just this portion of the video just... Jack. Motif, variation on a theme, and Keith Jarrett. I mean, this whole this is Gary yeah, you can hear too. him. You can hear his voice. Ah! Yep.
So from this, this hit me. I found out about this. I found out about Keith Jarrett. So my, I was predominantly a, uh, you know, you're a, a product of your sort of childhood and your friends and that kind of stuff. So I was, I was a rocker for sure. And, and I ended up going to school for, for jazz and studio music. So like I, I showed up, you know, uh, like the first day of jazz combo, this is in Miami. And I showed up, you know, with like my, like, like super aggressive thick like zildjian k at the time and like a 22 inch kick wide open Mm -hmm. you know and basically just got like laughed right out of class like when i showed up with the gear like don't even set that up it was like what what, i mean so i had so far to go um and so i just got my ass handed to me for for two straight years basically getting immersed in this and learning from everyone and so a big part of learning any style is listening i mean it's number one like know the his you know know the history know the greats and and you're sort of focusing your sound based on you know whatever summation of the things that that resonate with you so like you've got the traditional like i'm also like a you know an art blakey fan and a philly joe and like all the the original gangsters but there's something about jack was the first um that particular trio with Keith and Jack and Gary was like the first time that I really heard an unorthodox way of doing it. And it was just so creative. And then the icing on that cake was that Jack came down to Miami to do uh, a a clinic, like a masterclass. So he spent a week uh, with us. And so like, I got to watch him do this and it used to be that like, unless, you know, unless you could be at an uh, at an event you couldn't just like access videos on the internet and there's still nothing like being in the room and feeling the energy of that like it was just like we were i was mini disc the entire thing right that was the like the five months that mini disc <laughs> stuck around but i had it all and i just like it's just so much of that music to me is like is rhythmic interpretation and conversation right and i think that's the most besides like jazz, learning jazz and independence, uh, and 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 the timing and the touch informs so much of your other playing. If you never played a lick of jazz or a jazz gig in your life, but you still went through the independence, it would make you a better drummer and a better musician. There's just no question about it. A lot of people don't deal with it because it's it's a giant fucking headache. I mean, it really is. Like to, to learn all that stuff, it's like, oh well, like why am I gonna? I'm not gonna be playing jazz gigs, you know. Yeah, but but it really does change the way that you play. And the thing about that record is that there's so much rhythmic conversation when you're listening to the three of them. It's just like I'm getting goosebumps now. Even I would just walk like around campus, like listening. Like I'd miss my classroom because I'd just be like so dialed into what was happening, um, and would just hope that I could have that kind of like, you know real musical scenario when you meet a piano player or a guitar player you play in a trio because when it's a trio it's like there's no no one's resting right it's active listening constantly and so you know and staying in time and being able to hear an idea and maybe uh add to that idea but without losing the form right like you still got to know where you're on the song you can't just play you know and you and you know what the beauty is ben is the beauty is with this stuff you can't play bullshit licks like it has to be if you do something like that in a conversation that's so intense 
It's this, it's the equivalent of just like repeating your sentence, repeating your sentence, repeating your sentence, repeating your sentence. And so it's just like, what, what are you doing? Are you listening to anything that I'm saying? You know, it, you could never do it that way. And that to me was like, this is just calling bullshit. You know what I mean? Like if you, it's, you have to be so involved in the music. And so anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but Jack, there's a few like Tane was a big influence and, and Bill Stewart, the, the unorthodox players, I guess. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, for the sake of time, because I want to respect your time, let's go to number five. The album is Two Drink Minimum. The album is, or the release here is 1995. The artist is Wayne Krantz. Song choice is Whippersnapper. And the drummer is Zach Danziger. And Zach's actually not brought up that much in this podcast. So I'm happy he's getting his day in the sun here. Do you know, have you heard? So this is just random uh, or maybe coincidental. But like, so where they recorded this, have you been to the 55 bar? You know, I have, yes, yes. So you know that it's closing, it's closed for good. It's closed, uh. closed down. So I like wrote, I wrote this thing out a few days ago and then saw, um, Keith was the one that I saw originally post it, Keith Carlock. Because oh. I saw him there, I saw Zach there, I saw, I mean, all of my heroes, Wayne Krantz. I used to go there constantly and now it's closed. Rest in peace. Uh, but yeah, this is where I first saw, uh, excuse me, Zach. And so... Anyway, yeah, it's sad. Oh, that's a shame, man. man. Yeah. All right, here we go. Whippersnapper. Right sound in this. Fast forward to like uh, halfway. The, the key, uh, okay. Wayne just like rips. Okay. Here's so, halfway. Uh, Jump in right now. Talk about not taking rest. And this is Tim LaFave on bass. Oh, okay. Tim is just like, I'll just hold this, uh, I'll hold this down right here. (laughs) Disgusting. Yeah. All three, all three of these guys, man. Exit is incredible. 
being in the room when they when this happens is just the most hair raising. Like you feel the temperature in the room. Oh just yeah. Immediately jump five degrees. Like and everyone is like white knuckled because like z this is not just Zach. It's like I mean Wayne Krantz on his own is. Um, you know, it's just like a, he's a human metronome and his sounds and it's like his time is just like, it's unlike any other. It's like playing with a drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never, I wish I uh, had an opportunity to do that, but just from hearing like what Keith has said and what Zach has told me, like it's, it's a dream, you know, like he's so, he's so like rhythmically verbose and, and like just knowledgeable about where he's going and there's no like second guessing. It's, this is, it's real firm and, and so inspiring. And so when you get the three of those guys in a room with all of this information, it's just like they're just passing around. And it's also dialing it in just the most uh, exciting, you know, exciting. They're taking so many risks and the tension and release is mm -hmm. just like through the roof. And uh, yeah, I, seeing that stuff live also just, you know. It, it really changed the game, and and uh, Zach in particular, that was what put him on my radar. And then like he's got the Wednesday Night Titans thing. Have you checked them out? Where they play like the wrestling videos? No. Oh, oh no. Oh. The, with with the video in the background, I've seen that yes. online. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like he's just the greatest man. And um, but and and a conversation that he and I had too is just like a lot of this stuff like the usability factor of of that kind of stuff is like is so slim but the the takeaway and i tell like a ton of students this is if you've never if you haven't like sort of immersed yourself in that kind of like rhythmic um transmission it it affects the way that you play the simplest of things right so your pocket is then like exponentially like just carved out because you're all of these things are just like it's like the matrix they're all just like running down the walls and you're just like you could just be playing whatever it is but you're hearing like it's all around you and if your basic knowledge of of you know rhythms is just like the core subdivision maybe your ability to interact uh, or even just play that time however it's needed, like sit the snare way back. I listened to the Brody episode. Love, like that guy is a perfect example of someone who has ultimate control, right? How much back? Sure. Okay. And the snare where? Got it. Got it. And uh, and the kick where? Like I met him in Nam a couple uh, years ago, the only time I went, and he was just the nicest guy. And his like you know his watching some of his stuff when he posted it or it's just super inspiring it's like what what yeah there's a what lot of that? quotes that i steal from what he said in that in that episode brody simpson yeah, by the he's way he's a wise what... yeah brody simpson yes although he's, he's to, to the point where you just have to say brody and people know so yeah man and he's but it, it, it was that same thing where like these group of guys are just um you know like just wizards at their own craft and so these to me were like some of the is that the last is that the last one that's the last one, man. So I, I did this thing so many times. I'm not even sure. I know, dude. I know. I'm sorry again. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was, it was super fun. Well, um, dude, great, great, uh, great information. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I do want to give you a chance to do a little self-promotion. Um, so where, where can people find you if they want to get lessons? Obviously, um, you do a lot of that now. You talked about that earlier. So um, how do people contact you, see what the hell you do? 
Uh, so I, uh, my website is, uh, is a good place to start. Just Nick Baglio, um, dot com and, and you can reach out there. Obviously, um, I'm on Instagram quite a bit. Um, and that's at Nikki bags and I C K Y B A G Z Z. Um, yeah, man. And you know, I, I do a ton. I love working with folks, uh, you know, via Skype or zoom that way. And also, um, a ton of recording. I imagine that it's not just drummers, um, but predominantly drummers listening, um, to the podcast. So, um, yeah, man, this has been super fun. Uh, and and very challenging to do and i actually it's i i went down a rabbit hole and listened to a bunch of these episodes uh and it's such a cool concept and i think i like it because it's 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 not like a regular you know drum podcast it's like you're making people think and it's fun to see when i saw like i started the dom episode just Mm. before um and uh it's cool to hear what everyone's like i wonder what that person would listen to and i left out so many things they were almost embarrassing like, <laughs> yeah like because people will you know people will judge you like basically like oh do you listen to that like the one of those honorable mentions i don't even know if i put it on my honorable mentions but uh the uh like i played with a queen a queen's record you did, did I put, put that it on, on there? there yeah empire jesus i played with that record for like the better part of like sixth grade and maybe seven, I don't remember what year it was, but it was like, I was just like, do I put this on here? Or is it like, uh, like that drummer, Scott Rockenfield? Like, I don't know if anyone remembers this guy, but he was the first guy to put the symbols on the chains. His symbols <laughs> were hanging from chains. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. So there wasn't a stand. It, they were just hanging from like a chain and it was super it was the edgy. first and the last or is that did that become a thing yeah, they started swinging he's like fuck I keep missing these <laughs> no it, it was probably the last um <laughs> but uh yeah man and anyway uh I, I really enjoy w- what you're doing and uh obviously i'm a huge i didn't plan to put all these big fascinating products all like, my drums yeah, but i, need I to have use like the video now <laughs> yeah it's just like i use them uh literally this morning on something and uh it's also cool that you guys are just uh you know great humans and i hope that we get to connect uh i'm sure we will at some point yeah um if i'm out there or, or you're out this way man like i said um you just let me know i'm in raleigh north carolina so hit a brother up dude i'm i'm surprised it took us this long to get on together so um I'm happy. You are my first one back. I'm relaxed. I'm in my echoey spot again that I need to work on sound treating this damn thing. But uh, that's okay. Have a good day, man. Same to you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again for the opportunity, Ben. Thanks. All right. Peace, dude. Peace, buddy. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!